river's full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snow-capped peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. I'm an outdoor junkie through and through. Drag quest. Is it September yet, Bob? <laughs> Staying close, buddy. <laughs> oh, man. I can smell the elk already. Yeah, we're a few weeks away. It's time to get everything together because we'll be leaving soon. Oh, man. I've uh, been slaving away in the kitchen. I just chopped up a ton of healthy vegetables and meats and prepared a... Uh, backpacking food and it's going in the dehydrator tonight got got about a dozen dinners going into there and gonna do up some fruit uh tomorrow and getting that all squared away we got some they got some new gear got some new shelter new sleeping bags new stuff to try out in the back country so man i'm just excited i've been blowing on my bugle tube and blowing on cow calls and driving my neighbors nuts and <laughs> Good. Get the elk fever. Got the elk fever. And I'm going to go hunt mule deer first out in the sagebrush. So it's kind of, it's always hard when they're just all jacked on elk hunting. I'm also super excited to go hunt mule deer. Yeah. So that's kind of what, what I got going on. Uh, mule deer first and some Roosevelt second and then some Rockies third. You have what? Uh, uh, what do you got going on, Bob? You have well. Before we get to that, you have two traditional archery tags. Yeah, yeah. I got traditional only archery tags. I'm hunting mule deer in a traditional only Trout Creeks uh, area here in Oregon, which is really special that we have uh, such a hunt. And I'm feeling uh, blessed again to be participating in it with uh, other fellow archers. And then I've got our new North Fork of the John Day Wilderness five-day elk extension. Uh, it's a five-day extension to the already general season. And uh, it's in an area that I have killed elk in before. So um, things are looking up. I've got the Brown Brothers and the Savages and you know, all kinds of good friends will be over in the Trout Creeks to camp with and hang out with. And so that's, that's going to be cool. Um, it's all business for me, though. I'm going by myself and hunting by myself over there. And I've got high hopes. Nice. And then the elk hunt is going to be just as sweet. And I've got a couple dudes I'm hunting with. And, yeah, it's I'm going to try to get out with Starly and... Uh, Jack Lander uh, in the middle of the season for some Roosevelt action for a day or two. And I've got my buddy Spice from Hawaii. He's coming up for 30 days to hunt solo in Oregon. I'm going to get together with him for a few days and kind of just pointing him in the right direction. And he's got some friends in central Oregon. And Sweet. yeah, yeah. So I got some good stuff happening. Uh, how about yourself, Bob? What do you got planned? Oh, I got a couple good tags. Uh, before I get to that, I want to mention real quick, kind of a big deal going on here in Oregon. There, uh, we've been super involved with the process the last couple of years. 
I mean, it started out as a regulation simplification and, uh, now they've done some polling and stuff and, and anyway, they've kind of thrown a, thrown one at us this year and they're gonna, they're trying to push through controlling Eastern Oregon for archery season next year. So. For elk and deer. Elk and deer. So I've been going to a bunch of meetings on that. I've been working with OBH and OHA and, you know, Oregon Outdoor Council's there and we're, we're fighting it. Um, I'm gonna, I'll put some stuff up on our, our Instagram and stuff here soon. We don't know their final proposal until about the 17th or 18th of August, which is of course about when I leave. But we're trying to get guys to send in emails. They have a forum page. I'll put a link to that in the, in the post. Um, and then if you guys listening, I mean, you know, we've, we've kind of been talking about this stuff for several years. Well, it's been a couple of years we've been doing this podcast. I think James and I both got involved in TAO about the same time, you know, three or four years ago. Pretty heavy. And, you know, that's why we've been pushing these things because, we saw this stuff coming, and uh, yeah, I, unfortunately, I out early. unfortunately, the you know their their number one complaint is you know the reason they're doing it is over harvest and overcrowding, and you know I've been all over trying to promote you know using traditional archery. I mean, it solves all the problems overcrowding and over harvest, and and you know I've been working with OBH Wade Endicott. He's he's been. Uh, we had some very heated discussions, but he's actually, you know, he, he's coming around and same with OHA, but it's a big, it's an uphill battle. You know, they're not going to just. That's, that's do it. Oregon Bow Hunters and Oregon Hunters Association. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you've been working in a group leadership meeting there trying to come up with some kind of, some kind of solution to yeah. losing our general seasons. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, a lot of guys, even in the poll, and we have a we have a local, uh, you know, Oregon website. I fish. A lot of local guys get on that, and a lot of guys are like, you know, well, it's time. We need to do it. We need to do it. And um, it, it it's it's a tough thing. You know, guys are tired of too many guys in the woods, and they want to control it. But the problem is, when we start controlling it, it it's gonna it's going to have a little adverse effect that they, and I brought this up at the meeting the other day is, you know, that we have units where there's 1800 guys archery hunting in one unit, guys and gals and everything else, but, and they're killing 166 bulls or something. And they're complaining ODFW or whoever they're polling are complaining because, um, the rifle hunters are only killing that many branch antler bulls in those areas, you know, cause they're limited tags. And so they feel like it's not an equal opportunity. And the problem is when they start controlling these things is when, you know, archery hunting, a huge part of what, whether you're successful or not is, is the pressure. And when we have units with 1800 guys in them, the reason we're only killing 166 bulls is because there's 1800 guys in them. And yeah, they're going to drop it to a thousand. Well, what happens when they drop it to a thousand? And we still kill 166 bulls. You, you get where I'm going. And then you drop it to yep. 18 or, you know, 800 and now you're killing 
possibly more Brand Chandler bulls. So right and, now they're selling and, it to us as like and, us. and the point creep and the point creep just began. Once you get down to a certain point where the popularity, the demand outweighs the amount of tags, the point creep uh, wheel begins, and we know where that leads us to. Yeah. Well, anyway, the the my point is. They're selling it to everybody right now. We're, you know, residents, we're all going to get to hunt every year. It's going to be fine. It's just a way to kind of control things. And, and you look down the road 15 years or even sooner and that won't be the case eventually. I mean, you can yeah. take you guys listening, go through, uh, go on what's the go hunt or whatever sometime and, and scroll through Colorado. Colorado limits every unit for archery deer and they have been for quite a few years and they do a pretty good job it's one of the better places to hunt mule deer archery mule deer because they control the hunts but you look at the archery success rates i think the last time i checked which i let mine expire this year which is probably last year um i think there was 26 units in colorado that had over 40 percent archery success and so when you start looking at you know the success rate and, and, you know, you look through the Arizona, you know, for their elk and, and these places now that are, that are controlling hunts with the modern equipment we have and the success rates are, are legit. And so anyway, you know, OBH, they don't want to lose opportunity. It's it's a huge loss opportunity for bow hunters. And we, we put in a pretty good fight and I think we got a chance of a pretty good chance. They're going to prepare, postpone it you know one of the commissioners was at our last uh sport group leaders or work work group meeting they had you know there's only there could only be 10 of us counting odfw employees and commissioners because of the covid and everything so i think we got a good chance of putting it off but uh for you non-residents out there too that ever want to elk hunt this is huge they're controlling colorado now we're putting it off just temporary right like you look, you're trying to get it put off because of COVID and because it's a sudden change, yeah. but we're not going to keep it put off. It's, we're going to have to come up with a solution. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, they have a solution. They just control every unit. So, uh, yeah. you know, for non-residents, a lot of you guys that listen to this aren't from Oregon. It's a big deal. When you, you start looking at Colorado for one, they're ta- they're trying to put wolves into Colorado right now, which hello, that's going to ruin it. On top of that, you know, they, they're already, they basically went through what Oregon's trying to do right now in Colorado a few years ago. And, and I talked to their liaison, their, their basically guy that does the same thing I do for the Colorado Bowhunters Association about this same thing to, to make the step between general seasons and controlled put a, you know, like try traditional archery, make that the step in between. But if, but you know, they, they, it's it's a controversial topic because then everybody's like, oh, da, 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 da. well, we lose out when we lose opportunity. So Colorado's this last year they added 16 units, and I think, as far as I understand, the next couple of years are basically going to control all of Colorado. And so when they do that, this year the Idaho non-resident elk tags sold out. I think June 8th. So. The last place that's a true general season will be Oregon and Washington and Oregon cut their season or, or Washington, excuse me, cut their season years ago to two weeks because of all the technology and everything. So anyway, just, just for you guys out there listening that give a rip, 
we would appreciate it. You know, pay attention to our Instagram. I'll put up the link. And if you want to email the commission directly, it's odfw.commission at state.or.us. And just, uh, you know, give them your two cents and uh, try to save our opportunity here and, and your guys' opportunity that ever want to come out west and go elk hunting. Yeah, and like Bob's saying, there's a lot of it's a lot of moving parts to this, and we we know that the modern equipment's no, not going to go away. But all all bow hunters, no matter what equipment they use, um, they can uh, go to the lesser weapon and, and pick up a recurve or a longbow and learn how to use it, and still get to hunt elk every year. That's the hope. That's the dream, is that we can create this as a as a management objective where we can create opportunity and have a uh, uh, low impact on the wildlife and we still get to go hunting every year. So I mean, that's, you know, I, I got to thank Riley Savage and, uh, Bob and, and Carson and just all the guys involved, uh, here in Oregon and kicking some butt and taking names. Yeah. Well, we're trying. It's a, it's well, a battle. Putting in some effort anyway. Putting yeah. in the effort. Yeah. 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 So anyway, forward, so. not to be a Debbie Downer, but, uh, yeah. And that's been consuming my life the last couple months. And, uh, well, I, I got a way to pick you up, Bob. <laughs> In less than, uh, two weeks, uh, you are, where are you going, Bob? Yeah, I'm out of here. I, uh, I have, what's today? The, the seventh. So I have seventh. Yeah. Love I'm leaving day. in 10 days and I'm not coming back till October. So suck it. Um, yeah, I got a, I got a couple good tags. I drew a, basically a once in a lifetime tag in Oregon. I've been applying for 18 years. And then we bought a landowner tag, uh, Nevada that we've hunted that area before. So, uh, you and your brother. Yep. And my dad has a deer tag for that same area. He's down there right now. And your nephew. Uh, yeah, my nephew's got an antelope tag. They just got back from down there. So, uh, they're going back tomorrow, him and my brother. So my dad just texted me last night, said he saw some three big bulls. And so yeah, that's, I cannot wait. Just all the shit that's going on in the world. I can't wait to just leave it for a month and a half. I'm not going to turn on my phone. I'm not doing shit. I mean, it's just, yeah. So what's the game plan? You guys are going to try to split the season in half and do a half Nevada, half Oregon or? Yeah, well, Nevada's ends like the 16th, so, um, we'll see. I'm, I mean, I hope, I hope to go over there and kill a bull the first day and, <laughs> and then come back. Yeah. <laughs> that's I my, like it. That's my plan, but usually after the first morning, your plan changes, which it probably will, but, uh, yeah, yeah just whenever I can get, get out of there and get back, I just got back. I've been over. You know, I've been scouting a bunch and stuff. So whenever I can get back over here, you've been scouting your your Oregon area. Yeah, and and I went down to Nevada yeah. for a few days too. Nevada, oh yeah, that's right. You went to Nevada and got some scouting in. Yeah, um, so, I mean, I, I, just getting that lay, just getting the lay of the land and 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 uh, camping and all that stuff has a lot of value. So you have to figure that out later. Yeah, you know, it's it's I say it's scouting, but I take my daughter with me everywhere. She's five. And, uh, so <laughs> like I just went scouting for a couple of days, but we pretty much picked huckleberries because 
you know, she loves picking huckleberries. Like we just, we just dink around, you know, but it is good. It's, it's, I, I leave home for so long that it gives mom a break and, and, uh, she can't get on me for taking off when I take the kids. So yeah, we've just have, we've been having a riot, um, doing all kinds of, all kinds of good stuff in the lockdown. So I, as far as scouting goes, I haven't really, all the scouting I've done, I haven't even seen a big pool, but I know they're there. I've got it all. I've got it all figured out in my mind. So, uh, we'll see. Well, um, while you were out scouting and trying to tie up the trees, uh, I, I recorded a podcast. Nice. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, not a problem. Uh, it's pleasure was all mine. Uh, Paul Medell, uh, a.k.a. the Elkna. Uh, man, we've had him on. This is the third time. I think we've, we had one interview so long we broke it up into like two, a two-part interview. And then we had him on again the year before last, I think. Nice. Um, yeah. And man, they're some of my favorite episodes. And so um, this one's going to be super good. And uh, he was nice enough to donate three of his Elknet apps. And we really talked about the app a bunch during this podcast. So if you guys don't know what the Elknet app is, by the end of the podcast, you're going to know all about it and you're going to want it. And we're going to give three of our Patreon supporters uh, the apps. And we've already done a drawing. So who do we got, Bob? All right. We got John Spazano, Rob Power. Thank you, John. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Rob Power and Russell Darnell. Rob. Thank you, Russell. I'll send you guys an email and uh, we'll get that squared away and sent off to you we appreciate you guys all the patreon supporters we have uh keeps us rolling keeps us motivated you know our all of our stuff's getting kind of old now it's been a couple of years we got to update stuff and it helps to yep. new equipment new yeah. stuff yep and we got some uh we've got some awesome uh content coming with the elk nut uh, episode here and i've got some legendary local Roosevelt guys lined up to spit some Roosevelt knowledge, uh, which is, uh, good for any elk hunter, I think. Yeah. And, and uh, the one you're doing, uh, next week, good buddy of mine, it'll be awesome. So we are going to give away that knife. We teased you guys with on Patreon a couple of weeks ago. Yep. We're going to give that away on the next one. So if you guys aren't Patreon members yep. and you want, an absolute pimp knife from Hiko Ito Custom Knives out of Hawaii. Get signed up because they are works of art and we're giving it away next week. And go listen to episode three. That's like way back to the beginning. But go back and listen to Dan Godfrey, the Roosevelt Elk Slayer. Um, we're going to have bring him back on next week. And that first interview is worth listening to. He is, I mean, he's one of the best hunters I know. And he blessed me with a text. He had a vision, a dream that he thinks <laughs> I'm going to kill a nice mule deer this year. So, I mean, it's all my donkey comes. <laughs> yeah, James called me and he said, you'll never guess. I did he texted me, he never texted me. He had, a, he had a dream about this buck and this and that. And he's like, oh my God. Oh, so yeah, funny. Yeah. <laughs> 
there. He says I was celebrating, and then he went on to say it was a big buck, and I and I I made put two really good arrows, double lung them, and the whole thing. It was just man. So I'm yeah. When you got a mentor of yours, uh, just a stud like that, having dreams about you killing bucks, you know something good's gonna happen this year. <laughs> <laughs> yep. You call that a, that's a vision. Uh, that's, awesome. that's a vision, not a dream. A vision. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So. Yeah, we got some cool stuff, and yeah, reach out to us if there's uh, any guys you guys know about that you know we love those those blue collar, hard working bow hunters that uh, you know aren't all over the internet. If you guys got a guy to recommend us, uh, definitely send us a email at tradquestpodcast at gmail dot com. Um, anything else before we send them down uh-huh. the elk nut? I think that's it, man. You guys enjoy. Paul is uh, a lot of knowledge. The <laughs> Take the notes. <laughs> Take notes. Welcome back to the podcast, Paul. Um, man, I'm excited to have you back on. This is, I think, your third appearance on the show. And you are uh, a guy that is very high demand. And I really appreciate you making the time for us uh, to come on and help, you know, our listeners out with some elk knowledge. Um, so yeah, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Hey, it's my pleasure, man. I always enjoy talking elk with you, James. So there's uh, no reason for this to be any different. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I. If you guys go back and listen to the previous episodes we've done with Paul, there's some just really great stories, and we really get into uh, the ins and outs of calling and. Um, communicating with the elk and, and understanding what they're saying. And that's what Paul is the master at. I mean, they don't call him the elk nut for nothing. Um, you know, uh, you're going to hear the shameless plug by me nonstop during this podcast about the <laughs> elk nut app. If you guys don't have that, every elk hunter, no matter your skill set, should have that on their smartphone. There's just no reason not to have that there. It's a little quick uh, access to just years of information at your fingertip. It's just awesome. So you guys need to have that. But what I brought Paul on tonight for something a little different, you know, Paul's been on so many podcasts and I've listened to them all because man, he throws out something new and different on every single one. And, but tonight I, I taught, I told Paul, uh, earlier in the week that I really wanted to come on, have him come on and talk to the guys and gals about, finding elk and you know not everybody's fortunate enough to have elk in their backyard like i am and paul is a lot of guys are traveling you know from eastern states or southern states or and they're coming a long ways and the biggest part of getting you know before you can't really call them until you find them and so maybe speak to that paul about locating elk in the beginning of season and in the middle of season um, where does a guy start? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. And, and I'm sure, you know, in the beginning I struggled with that as well. I mean, and it becomes a trial and error thing. You try to dive into as much information as, uh, guys are willing to share. And, it, you know, it seems like it's a, uh, it's the same stuff over and over, which is, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but to find elk, 
in and especially when 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 I'm talking about finding elk, I'm I'm generally talking about you know public land, uh, kind of like over the counter stuff, uh, pressure from other hunters. So not usually something where there's only a handful of tags and you really don't see hard, uh, f- uh, many hunters, but there's a lot of elk to deal with. In, in, in those cases, those are a little bit different. But when you're running around, like I say, hunting public land, over-the-counter elk, or things similar to that, it it uh it can test your patience in in, in finding them. But, so what I do, because I hunt a lot of areas every year that are are, are repetitive. You know, it's ones I, I go into regularly. But I also hunt a lot of new stuff. And when I'm into uh, in unfamiliar areas, uh, in if it's in my own state of Idaho. I really don't put a lot into it because I kind of got an idea of where the elk should be, what the terrain looks like. For me, I look for kind of rugged terrain. I'm, I'm just that guy. I, I, I'm not the guy that wants to hunt near all the roads or, or walk up all the trails. And so that's what I kind of look for if I'm going to go hunt in areas. I look for, for areas that have few roads, uh, maybe a few trails. But, but not a whole lot of them, or they're spread apart, you know, quite a ways. And so when I find terrain like that, I usually real, I, I notice no matter what state I'm hunting, that few hunters venture into areas that don't, that don't have designated access areas. And so that's one of my, my, my go-to things is if I'm hunting a new area and I lived in Oklahoma, and I'm coming out here, and I've chosen my unit. This isn't about who do I call, how do I choose a unit, how do I choose a state. That's not what this is. You've already done that. So now you're going into your area. What I like to do is I usually will take a half a day because if it's too far, I'm not going to make a trip out there. I'm right. not going to drive you know, for 20 hours or, or 10 hours. Right. I'm going to take a half a day, get over there, and I'm going to drive the areas that I've looked at. You know, whether you looked at maps or Google Earth, me, my favorite thing, I know a lot of people love Google Earth, but I don't care for it as much as my phone. And, and this is part of the answer to your question here uh, is, is, is Google Earth is very deceiving for me terrain wise, even though they have a bunch of different features you can tap into to soften the terrain or steepen it or whatever. It's, it's usually still not really good. I mean, you can't sink your teeth into it. And when you get there, you're like... Oh my God, that's not what I was expecting. Right. And so when I take my phone, I, I have a lot better results. I, and what I mean by my phone is, I have a mini in reach, and uh, and when you when you ha- when you have that, it, it comes with a program called EarthMate. You can get Base Map and Onyx and all kinds of stuff. But I'm kind of a frugal guy. It, it came with it, and so when I paid my 350 bucks for the in reach, the mini in reach, it came with that program. And uh, it, it seems to do everything I need. It gives me, you know, state land, BLM land. It gives me private. It gives me all that. So, you know, I don't need a lot of bells and whistles. But I, what I do is I take my phone and I go to that area I've chosen. And then I take my phone and I plug a USB cord into it and put it into my 60-inch screen TV. And now I'm looking at my phone, and my phone is my part that that is the brain of the operation. So I'm going to my unit, but yet I'm looking at it on a 60-inch screen, and I'm scrolling through up, down, left, right, and checking the entire area out on a huge screen. And I can pan with it. I can do anything with it. And so, and it doesn't cost me anything. So I can really get a general idea of, of where the roads are, where the trails are, where the water is, where people will probably camp. And so I have a pretty good understanding from right there. 
of what the country looks like. And then when I get in there that half a day early or so, a day early, I drive everywhere that I saw on my phone that I thought, I think this has a lot of potential. And, and, and what I'm doing is getting a lay of the land, James. That's really what I'm doing. I'm trying to see where the trails are, where everybody's camped at present, not where I think they were going to be camped on my phone, but I want to see where everything is and where elk may get pushed to. And it's really not that hard to do. Once you drive around for a couple of hours, you get a really good feel for thousands and thousands and thousands of acres of where the elk probably will go or maybe where elk are living just to avoid the pressure. And and when I say avoid the pressure and, and get to areas where people aren't, I'm talking no more than two miles here. I'm talking like the maximum from a road to two miles in or less. Those that's the country I'm looking for. I don't care about going in four, five, six, seven, eight miles. Yeah, if you guys want to do that, go ahead. You're not killing any bigger bulls than anybody else's. It's just they go back there because those elk see a lot less pressure. And they are easier to call. You know, they hear an elk sound and they really feel it's a bull. But you hunt closer to more pressured elk and and you have to be more on your game. You have to, like you said in the beginning, you have to know how to communicate with them. And once you learn that, if you know how to communicate, you don't care if those elk are 100 yards off the road or if they're eight miles back. doesn't matter. You're, you're one of them. And so you're you're presenting yourself in a way that's believable to them. And, and that's how, you know, we, we bank on that every year to be able to call elk in by by understanding the tones or the emotion of the sound and the messages being sent so basically i get a lay of the land of everything and what am i going to do i am going to call to find these elk in the timber or 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 in, in, into the cover if there's some open country to be honest with you i pretty much avoid most of that because that's what everybody flocks to Everybody thinks they need to go out there and glass everything up and they're just going to walk in and slay these bulls. And, and, you know, that's the furthest thing from the truth, because these elk are in such a spot that if you call to them, they're very hard, very difficult for them to just come trotting over your way. Most of the time when elk are in the open cows, bulls and stuff and you call to them, they may sound off to you. And when they do, they're generally asking you to come on over where they're at or asking for a visual. Yeah. Most people don't realize that, James. They, they just think, oh, the elk are calling back. Right. And so you made a huge mistake right there and pushed them because after a few episodes of them calling, you calling, them calling, you calling, all of a sudden they drift away or they definitely don't come any closer because they know something's wrong. You're not reading the situation right. So, and so it, it messes you up. So let's talk about, Paul, everybody that the – the answers to all those questions are great answers, and, and I agree with you 100%. And what I'm hearing and what I'm thinking is I'm that guy coming from Oklahoma, and man, I've been on my phone on Onyx or Base Maps or whatever my program is, Google Earth, and I've been pounding it. I've been on the forums, and I've been talking to Jimmy and Joey and this guy and that guy, but then I roll up. And I see this camp and that camp and this trailhead's got 16 cars and there's stock trailers here and there's this guy and there's that guy. I think we're not prepared for that, You're not, especially the guy that's just – it's his first time or second time and he sees that. It could really put a guy – you know, put the brakes on like now what do I do? Um, that pressure that you were talking about, it's it's pressure that's being put on the elk but it's pressure on the – on the new elk hunter that's like, well, how do I get into the mix and how do I get around all these obstacles? 
Could, yeah, you, and those are real. Those are real thoughts. These aren't uh, hypothetical. This is exactly what you run into. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, every year it's like this, and this is the exact reason why I say I avoid those areas where access is readily available and easy to locate on maps and anything else or guys that have been hunting those areas for years. This is why I avoid them. Now, this doesn't mean I would never hunt a trail or start my hunt from a trailhead, but it would be very selective. It would be like, oh, man, there's one over here that nobody's even messing with. There's nobody there. And those things do happen. But for the most part, that's not the case. Everybody has all that dialed in because of the, the technology today and, and the information out there. You can get maps that are just show you nothing but trails. I mean, that's it. That's all they show. And so between that, they can show you all the water sources. They can show you roads. They can show you every little thing there is. And so what I do is, 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 is if you're one of those guys that need to see all that, that's fine. I don't need to see all that. I just need to get over there physically early. Like I said, even if it's hunting season, I'm going to take that half a day in a new area and drive it. And I'm going to see where everybody's hunting from. I see this, 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 this. I see where everybody's at. I'm also looking at the country where nobody would even think of camping as I'm driving around some of this more rugged area and the roads are narrow. And I'm like, oh man, my calls would really reach out here and they'd really reach out over here. I could cover these huge monstrous areas a mile plus away for all from the road. I'm looking at these vast areas, or maybe I only have to run a quarter mile up on this little hill. I'm looking at my phone. I'm going, man, if I get up on this hill, look at how it opens up out there. It's all timber. I can't see for the most part, but man, my sound will carry. So I'm looking at these areas as I, as I'm catching the lay or looking at the lay of the land. And so my plan is in, in a new area like that, instead of just venturing out and running all over or maybe having areas on the map, I may just take the next morning an hour or so before daylight and drive those areas pre-designated now that I've marked either on the side of the road, very inconspicuous or on my, on my phone. I do both and I drive while it's still dark and I call into those areas. And I know from, already driving it yesterday, the day before evening or so, that my sound's going to carry way out in those areas. And there's nobody there. There's nobody camped. There's no camping spots. It's nothing. And so I know that I'm going to be far reaching and there's a possibility of finding elk while it's still dark, but yet just before daylight. And that's one of my, you know, I do this every year, James. This is how I find, I mean, I, I must find 75% of the elk by doing this. And I mean, I do it year after year after year, locate bulls and yeah, they're not standing next to the road, fellas. They're way off. And but the point is, is they give their position away and that's all I'm looking for is elk. Like, okay, we have elk right over here, you know, and a bugle and maybe two or three bulls will chime in. And then all of a sudden they shut down. And so I'm just sitting there listening. When I do this, I usually only bugle twice. I bugle one time, then I wait, you know, 30 seconds to a minute and I bugle again. I'll wait again about one minute. Very impatient. If there's mm -hmm. nothing answers, I move to the next spot. And if I don't um, have time to mark a bunch of spots, I will do that every mile. You turn with your, no camps around. So do you do you turn your rig off and and move a hundred yards from your rig? I mean, what's that look like? Um, how much time uh, between you you know moving to the next spot? Well, that's what I was saying. Yeah. I only I only bugle and then wait 30, or 30 seconds to a minute, then okay, bugle yeah. again. Right. Wait one minute, and if I don't hear anything, I'm out of there. Back that's rig. it. Yeah. So, obviously, you know, you have to shut your motor off. Yeah. Unless they're standing so close to you. 
you know, but no, I'm not bugling out the window or anything like that. I mean, you have to shut the window. I mean, I shouldn't say that, but you have to shut it down. You got to hear. And, and, and when I'm picking areas out to call, if there's a stream or creek running next to me, it's a terrible spot to choose because you can't hear anything. It's right. loud. It's rumbling, roaring, especially at dark when everything's pinpoint quiet. It can really, you know, hinder any, hearing anything at a distance. And, and, and my, and my objective is to find elk. So I just keep moving and, and, and driving. Sometimes I find elk at the very first spot I stop at. Sometimes it's not until I drive 25, 30 miles and that's no kidding you. So I, I am relentless when I, when I choose that method, that's what I'm doing. I am going to road bugle until I find them. And this I'm talking over the counter yeah. guys. And when I've done this over the years, I bet you I've contacted and I'm not kidding you here, I'm, you know, separate bulls. I bet you I've contacted anywhere from three to 4,000 bulls by doing this yeah. over the counter. And, and, mean, and you guys got wolves in that country too. Tell oh them, my tell God, them. full of them. Tell them. Everywhere. You can't, I mean, yeah. there's more hunters than wolves though. Yeah. The hunters are, to me, are the biggest issue to deal with. The wolves are no big deal. And, and you know, seriously, they're really not. I mean, I don't care for them. I don't want them there, but they're not a big deal. You know, some guys, you know, they're in an area and they hear the wolves and the elk shut up and they move off and they're just dumbfounded. Why? You picked one area? You come all the way out here? You've got one area? I have over 40, over 40 areas I can go to. And it's because I know that I can't count on one or two or three or four areas. Right. I'm very versatile. I'm very mobile. I'm moving. I'm hunting one spot in the morning and another one in the evening. Hear that, guys? Really, really write that down because a lot of guys are coming out and they're spending seven, eight days, their, their, their whole hunt in one spot and they are like, well, we never saw them or we've seen them one time. You have to move around. Yeah, stay mobile. Hunters can move the elk. Yes. Uh, wolves can move the elk. Bears can move a mountain lion. I can move the elk. We all do. So I blow out of there. If, I, if, if something went wrong, I leave that area and I don't, and I don't basically, I, I hardly ever come back once in a blue moon. I will, because you have to understand I live here and I can hunt all 30 days. But if I was all bottled up and with, with uh, 10 days to hunt and, and, and I knew elk was in an area and something happened regardless of what it was predator or myself, I do not return to that spot. I am done. So don't sit there spinning your wheels thinking something magically is going to happen and these elk are just going to return because more times than not, you'll get burned. They do not show back up. Go to new country. Go Even if, if it's country you don't even know, it doesn't matter. All I do when I, when, I, when I get to my rig and I hear a bull bugle from the road and it's dark, do you think I have all these spots locked in? I don't know where they're going to bugle from. I have no idea. So I drive around, do, 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 if I'm by myself that or my son. It's usually just the two of us or, or, or you know, myself or him. And we drive around. As soon as a bull bugles, especially in a new area, I pull my phone out, which is my GPS. I'm, I'm linked to my, in, my mini in reach. So it will work anywhere. It does not let you down. I have never had an issue with it. No matter – I mean, cell service means nothing. This thing is, is, is just – it's the bomb man it's awesome and i'm 65 and i think this thing is just crazy good it also allows you to text your uh friends and family from anywhere in the world it's pretty cool yeah with your phone yeah i have it paired to my in reach yeah so i can just use my phone i don't have to do it on the in reach yeah but anyhow i i generally will get out because it's pitch black you can't see a stinking thing and a bull answered uh let's say half a mile away and then i heard another little weak and that's about it. And I'm okay. We got a couple of elk up there. And I, all I do is lock my spot in on my phone. 
which is very simple. Those of you that have, you know, mapping uh, abilities on your phone, you know how easy that is. It's just a couple little hits with your finger and you can lock the spot in and away you go. So I know uh, where my rig is. That's all I really care about. And then I take off and here's how I handle it. This is the important part. I've heard a bull bugle, right? I know he's there. Whether one bugles or two or three or he bugles a couple times, whatever. I know he's there. So now I take my pack. I have my pack completely ready in my rig. This isn't the middle of the night. Remember, this is an hour, hour and a half before daylight and maybe creeping up on daylight because maybe I've stopped several times. So I shoulder my pack and up I go. I start making my way up. If it's a full moon, I will not need a headlamp or anywhere close to a full moon. I usually have enough light that I can sift my way through the downfall. There's no trailhead running to him, guys. This is just boondocking it. So you're heading up through the cross country in and out. What's that? I call it going cross country. Yeah. And I mean, it's rugged. Usually these elk are just sitting in a Walmart parking lot waiting for you. They're, they're up there. And so as I get up, I am also listening and I'm not making any more sounds, no calling. I've already established they're there. The same as if I was in the daylight establishing elk were there with my binos. They're there. I now need to cut the distance. There's no calling involved. You're getting closer to them is all you're going to do. So now I'm creeping my way up and I'm hoping this bull keeps talking or additional ones keep talk or, or will pipe in. You just don't know what's happening out there, but I know he's there and that's good enough for me. So as I make my way up, I'm listening, listening, listening. If I hear other calling cows or bulls and, and it's, it's a wide range, you never know what happens. And so that gives me the mindset of the elk there. So this is really important. How am I going to work them? Am I going to run up there and bugle? Am I going to run up there and cow call? Am I going to cow call bugle? Am I going to go to a sequence? I don't know because I don't know what's going on there. I don't know the emotion of that bull or the herd that maybe he's a part of. Or was he a satellite? So I'm cutting the distance. And usually if he's a half a mile away, it's going to take me 30 minutes to get up there. Because we're not talking about daylight here. It's dark. So full moon, no headlamp. No full moon or really dark and thick. I've got a headlamp and I point it down maybe to two or three feet in front of my feet. And I'm moving through and I know dang well they can't see it because I can't even see up ahead. And so I'm moving in toward the direction of that of that uh, elk I heard bugle. And if he never bugles again, I do my best to try to get within a few hundred yards of where I think I heard it. And I don't go any closer. Now, if they continue to bugle and make some sounds and I can get quick a little closer, I do that. But I don't say anything. I'm done calling. Even if I don't hear anything after I leave the rig and it's still dark, I do not make a sound saying, okay, I need to know where you're at now. No, 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 no. Do not do that. I keep moving up. And once I know that I'm, I'm somewhere where I should hear them, if I hear if they make a sound, that's good enough for me. And so I sit there planted and I wait. I be very, very patient and I wait. What do I do next? It all depends on what I was hearing or not hearing. And that's the key right there is now I'm not going to do anything obtrusive at no time would I ever get a give a challenging type bugle or a lip ball or anything that required a lot of emotion because elk are communicating through emotion, through tone of their sound. So at no time would I get up there and let everything know that I want to rip their head off. No way would I ever do that. The most common sound I would use would probably be I would use a cow call. And when I used a cow call, nine times out of ten, since I knew the bull was there, I would want this cow to think that she heard him from a distance away, and she slipped in there, and now she's calling the bull. 
She wants to know where he is. Come on over here. I know I heard you up here somewhere. Come on over where I'm at. So that's the sound I'm going to use. So here, let me do it. Is that all right if I do one, James? Oh, please do. So here's a normal sound that a hunter would use. That's what they would do. They'd go, okay, I'm going to cow call. Okay. If I did that sound, and we're talking pressured elk here. We're talking elk that see hunters, get hunted, get moved all over the place. They know I did not ask anything of them. Nothing. It just says there's an elk over there. That's all it says. And if this is early season, especially, you know, like the eighth or earlier, that bull couldn't care less. It doesn't mean squat to him. It really doesn't. But if I'm asking for an action or a reaction, some assistance, come on over here, I have to change my tone. I have to let him know, her, let the bull know that this cow heard this bull, and now she's looking for him and wants him to come over. So here's the sound she will use now. She drops it and she raises her volume. It's no longer... There's none of the hoochie mama stuff or your read like that. Or even if you're using external read, you need to hit that note and drop it. And when you do that two or three or four times, in most cases, this is very normal with the elk. He'll give you a signal to where he is. And that's all you're looking for because you're not sure where he is. Am I really trying to call the bull in at that time? No. But if he came, I'm not going to tell him not to. That's Hmm. awesome. But you can't count on it. So you're setting the stage. You're, you know, it, it's like building a house. You're starting down at the bottom. You, you dig the footings. You put a foundation in. You put the floor. You put the walls. This is what you're doing. So now I've, I've already broken the ice. This cow knows that bull's over there. She heard him, and now she wants to know where he is and to come on over. Now he's going to let her know, maybe through a real light chuckle. You might hear the bull just kind of go, And that's about it. He might just do something like that, or he maybe he he may even give a little bit of a bugle to let you know. And his bugle, I can tell you right now, it ain't going to be earth shattering. It isn't going to be. He's so excited, and you're going to hear a classic TV bugle. That's not what it is. This is real stuff out there. You're either going to hear him give him a little chuckle, or you're going to hear him kind of go. That's about all he's going to do. He's not going to get all cranked up. There's no other elk talking. Nothing going on. You know nothing's ready. No competition. So they're not raising the bar and all everything. All he's doing is talking back to this cow. He's not bugling to everything in the world out there. And so when he does that, I know he's trying to call me to him. And so I will make my way up to him and I'll ask him to come again. And when he answers this time, I'm really paying attention. Has he come closer or is he in the same spot? You see, you have to evaluate all this. Everything happens is happening here. And so you're trying to get feedback, some information on what he's telling you. He's going to know when I give him my next sounds, I was over here and now I'm over here. You see, he knows I moved. There is no question about it. And this is good because this 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 gives him confidence that I'm coming. Now I'm hoping he's going to come some too because that means I can get call him, move up again if I'm solo until I start getting inside that 100 yard range and I'm going to move up from my last call, probably 30 yards, 35 if I it just depends on the terrain and I'm going to set up and shut my mouth. I'm not going to make no more sounds. I want him to think I was right back there. So see this is just that situation calling it dark and I'm getting this bull 
to come the rest of the way to me. Now, if this bull doesn't come to me from past experience of calling hundreds and hundreds of bulls over the years, that bull has cows and he won't leave them for another cow. He's not going to leave. And so I can tell he's pacing or all his calls are coming from one spot. He won't move. He, and, and in other words, when I say move, he won't advance to me to hook me up. He's telling me in the real elk world, I will meet with the group if, if I'm going to come up there, if I'm really a cow. And that's what happens. So you listen. You have to pay attention to what's going on. If he's going to hold position and continue to call you, you are the one that has to go to him. You don't have to call the bull in. Let the bull call you in. And he expects it, you to show. So you can make noise. Crack, pop, smack, hit. It doesn't matter. He thinks it's the cow coming. So, you know, that's some of the stuff that I'm listening to and working for. Now, if the opposite was true and this bull screaming, another bull screaming, and now they're really going at it, and I could tell, oh, man, there's a cow in heat over there. I would probably change my strategy because if I stayed with that, I'd have to pick out a satellite. Most likely, because if I tried to call my way, I'd probably have to bust through a bunch of elk and probably mess the whole thing up. And so, you know, if I could, I, that's great. But you got to really think it through because when you have multiple bulls going and cows chirping, there's a lot of activity going on. I, I would just have to change my tactic, basically. So what would be the tactic if it was totally the opposite where you've done the survey of the land, you're out night bugling, it's the beginning of September, and you've yet to reach contact with them. What, what, what are you doing now? Cause you don't have 30 days. You only got seven or eight days. Well, what, what are you going to do with your time to locate these elk? Uh, is it daylight now? Yeah. Now we're into daylight. Okay. You're, so we called. Yeah. Cause I'll usually call like that easily into an hour after daylight. I should have mentioned that I'll start an hour, hour and a half before and then go into an hour after. <clears throat> and man, I got to tell you the truth. Anytime I've ever done that, James, I have never not gotten an answer. Not one single time. Ever. None. Zero. It's how good it is, you no, guys. No matter, no matter what day of, that of the make hunt. Any difference. Uh-uh. None. I always get an answer. Sooner or later. Like I said, I'll go 30 miles. I don't care. I mean, when I'm looking for them, usually when I'm going into an area, if I'm going to do that, it's because I, I want to feel the area out. And so... I'm one of those guys that I put a lot of stock into this. The size of the bull is by the size of his bugle. I put a lot of stock in that. Now, have I ever been fooled? I've heard guys say, you know, I've called a lot of bulls and and I can usually tell, but I've been fooled. Well, I've been fooled too, but I'll tell you what, 95% of the time I am not wrong. I know the size of that bull. And I don't mean by inches. I mean, I can tell if it's a raghorn or, or a herd bull. And so it, I don't mind missing it, out on a few bulls when I know I'm going to be right on 95 of them. And what is that? Is is it emotion that you're reading? Like what? What? Mature what? his matureness. Right. I'm listening to the maturity of the bull, his age, and 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 I, you know, and I and 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 a lot of times a bull, you know, I, I <laughs> to me it's so easy. It's so cut and dry. There's nothing to it. I'm listening to. The man that he is, am I listening to a 14-year-old boy out there, a 21-year-old boy, or a 50-year-old man? I mean, I mean, that's how I look at it. I'm listening to a bull that has the maturity, and I can tell by his voice. If you put three guys, regular people, in a back room, and you had them all talk from 14 to 25 to 50, I'm going to tell you which one's which. 
Right. I know there's that odd guy in the world that sounds like Mike Tyson and he has that squealy little voice. But the point is that it's a very rare thing. So to use that as part of as the analogy is a joke because that's not the norm. Right. I want to go with the odds. And so when I hear a bull, let's say one of the things I look for more than anything is defensive action. Okay. So let's say I let, let out a location bugle and I hear this right here. Okay, big deal. All he did was basically was a bull out there letting me know that he's over there. He's not welcoming me. He's not telling me to stay away. He's just responding to the bugle. That's all he did. It, it meant he was not being, like I say, defensive or inviting. It's, it, it, it's, it's like a dog barking and you hear another dog bark way over here a quarter mile away or 300 yards, whatever. That's all it was. There was no ferociousness behind it. Now, if I had a bull that gave me a, a hard grunt or two grunts and came out with maybe even a short little bit raspy growl to a lip ball, he's being defensive. That's the bull I'm looking for right there because he's probably the herd bull. He's probably got cows. Cows get defensive. When they have cows, they get defensive. And they're not only defensive for the cows, but they're defensive for the area they're in. They're kind of semi-territorial. I don't say always territorial because that's not true. You know, look at how they are right now today. They're bachelored up. They're not territorial. They're all together, and they're like that most of the year. But once the rut comes on and these bulls start getting cows and they get their little area that they may live in for two, two and a half weeks if they're not pushed out, they that, that's their piece of real estate, and they don't like another bull intruding on them. And so they can get defensive for that as well as the cows. So I'm looking for that for that bull telling me to get the hell out of there. I'm not welcome. That's the guy I'm looking for. I'm not looking for the little yodeler or the guy that sounds like a spike squeal. It doesn't mean I'm not going to go hunt him or check the area because elk are herd animals and there's other elk around. But it does tell me if I get no other response than that, that there's no hot cows. Or I know the bull doesn't have cows, the one that responded. Is he around cows? Maybe a bull with cow. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe they're, they're a half a mile away. And, I, you know, it, there's too much in the air there. So I'm looking for the defensive reaction from another bull. And that's why a lot of times when I'm driving around and I'm calling, I'm like, ah, not that one. Ah, not that one. No. Oh, this is the one right here. This is the one we're going after. You see? So I get selective. And I, you'll do that when you kill a ton of bulls. You know, you start looking for, uh, uh, you know, elk with a little more maturity. And and don't get me wrong. I mean, I'll shoot a five point in a minute on an over the counter tag. So then I go help somebody else. But I usually don't want to hunt anything smaller than that. I mean, I'm usually after six points to be honest. But it doesn't have to be the biggest guy in the mountain. It's just the fact that I want to call them in. And, so and that that means a lot to me. So you've got really like uh, nearly a hundred percent like you're gonna locate them in the morning yeah period i mean it's just crazy yeah. but i put my time in i don't want guys to think i'm driving to one or two spots and now oh, i got one to answer there's times i'm driving and driving and driving and drive i'm, I'm covering so much elk country that I know I'm going to find them eventually. And 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 do you think there's any elk in the spots that I stopped and called to that never said anything? You better believe it. And, They're there. And you're Early calling season especially. And you were your survey. Uh, you went out and you kind of figured out where everyone's camped, and you're you're thinking yep. about where the obvious places people are going to be hunting. And then you are calling into to 
in between areas. In between areas. Yep. Yeah. And, and 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 a lot of times, what's so cool about it is one of the reasons it works so awesome is it is a lot of times I'm going up into that area for the elk, and then all of a sudden he'll bugle again and he'll bugle again and he's kind of moving. You know, he's not just standing there. And, and next thing you know, he gets over the top where I could have never heard from the truck, you know, from a dirt road or even pavement. I do it on paved roads, too. But he'll get over into an area where there's too much mountain now between you and, and where you first located him. And as I get over there, my God, there's three or four bulls going. I would have ne- I could have never heard him. But he took me over there right. as I'm following. And, and how- then there's other elk. And then, I, well, wait a minute. But now I get into the country. Where there, where I hear it all, and it's just marshy and wet and tore up and and elk crap everywhere. I mean, water, and I'm like, I would have never known this was even here. It doesn't show you that kind of stuff right. on Google Earth and and my phone because it's too dense of tr- timber. But once I get in there, it's like, oh my gosh, I'm marking this down because this is a new area. I've never been here, and I know these elk are going to return. This is an awesome spot to remember for the future or even another day of the hunt. You see, and so I learn all this stuff and mark my – that's why I like paper maps so well is because I can take my paper map. Yeah, I do too. A, after a few years and study them and look over them, whereas the phone, it's like what's in front of your face. You know, you don't you just get, run over all these areas, but the paper maps, I write bedding area, bull down here, another bedding area, wallow, water hole, big marshy area. You know, and so I look them over and I'm like, oh, I forgot about that spot. I haven't been in there for five years now, and but it was a good area. So I start, I, I take all this information and try to document it, stuff that's worth it. And and And, and once you do that, even for one, two or three years – and you guys, you have to plan like that. You have to plan, especially when we're talking over the counter hunts. And you're gonna, you can go into those areas every year. And I'm finding these spots, hardly, hardly any of them are more than a mile from the road. They're less than that. So we're killing bulls in there. Are, if you ever seen the photos I showed you, I mean, we've got 50, 60 bulls of just all really nice five, six points. My son and I, and I mean, these are the areas we're finding them in. We're not going. 10 miles back. Yeah, I liked the um, the last podcast we did with you where you and Junior, where he had drawn a good tag in Wyoming and oh, you, yeah. you described it as this real arid area and everybody wanted to hunt that open country and you found that one big brush pocket and you went right in there and fired up the grandpa bull and you guys put an arrow in him and brought him home. I mean, that that was a really cool story. You guys definitely should go back and listen to that one. That, that, that was a, um, a perfect example of what Paul's talking about here. It is because, you know, everybody wants to see the elk that they think they're going to go after. And, 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 and there's nothing wrong with that. Believe me, I love throwing the, and I carry spotting scope to camp every year. No way would I ever leave my spotting scope because there's days when you're hunting so many days in a row, me, when I'm hunting, I'm usually hunting anywhere from 20 to 25 straight days and I'll cover a lot of miles. And, and, and even at my age, I still do it because I love it so much, but there's some evenings because like I said, I mean, I'm honest about this guys. I hunt a different spot in the morning and a different spot in the evening every day. I do not return to the same ones. If I do, it's a rare occurrence and it's something special. But most of the time, if I'm hunting on a Monday through Friday, I'm hunting a different area on Monday, so no Tuesday, kidding. Wednesday, Thursday. Oh, never go to the same spot. Not no way. In, in a season of 30 days, even like you're – No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that week. That week. Okay. Because there's times I go into an area that I know the elk are there. 
I don't know where they're at, but I know they're there, but they're not saying anything. And I could sit there and troll form using certain sounds, and but I may not be where they're within earshot. I just know they're there somewhere. And so I don't like spending a lot of time. I mean, I'll do some calling. If I'm not getting anything satisfactory, I back off. I just leave. I say, okay, they're not ripe. That's to me, that's what I say. They're not ripe. Nothing ready. Right. So I'm out of there. Well, if I can get one bugle, I have a chance to kill him. Then I know where he is, and I'm going to evaluate really quick what's the best tactic for him. One tactic fits all bulls? Hell no. I'm either going to go to a breeding sequence, an advertising, a slow play, uh, 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 or regathering muse. I'm going to do something, but it has to fit that bull's mentality. What he's thinking, what I know is going to draw on his curiosity. And it's not hard to choose the right one for the, or for the, for the situation I'm in. I just have to hear something. And then that tells me, okay, here's what I need to do from past experience and calling so many elk in. This is what the tactic will work best or give me the best odds for this bull. And, and, and if it was really simple, I would break it down to if I was looking at from uh, late August until September 6th and I got a, a bugle from a bull, one single one or a bed bugle, and I call a bed bugle kind of a that's about all he does. And you can't get him to say nothing else. He would never hear a cow call from me. Not a one. I would go straight to an advertising sequence with that bull. Now, the advertising sequence just states to him and I'm within 200 yards or closer, that there's another bull in the area. This bull could give a, 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 nothing for a cow. He doesn't care. He's not in that mentality yet. But he does need to know who the bulls are in the area. So a lot of times, if I can play it up 10, 15 minutes of me bugling, and it's on the app. I show on the app how to do an advertising sequence. I actually have a video clip of it, too, where I'm in the woods presenting this. So I show you the sounds I go through. And, 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 and if it comes down to it at the end of 15 minutes, I'll even take some antlers and start clicking them, clacking them like another bull came in. And now they're sparring and pushing each other around, feeling the pre-rut, dinking around, click, 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 clank, pushing, stomping, making a little few little noise. You know, and a lot of times they'll do that. Bulls will wheeze and breathe as they're doing it. And I'll make all these little sounds, you guys. I'm not throwing all kinds of bugles out in sounds. That's not what these bulls are feeling. Bulls will wheeze a lot and give these light. like they're, And when I say wheeze, they're doing it through their nose. They make all these little pissant sounds as they're, you know, pushing each other. They're not, it's not combat. They're just feeling their oats. And as you present that, and that bull, you know he's there. It just sucks him and he never makes a sound. He just starts making his way to you. And the next thing you know, maybe his rack will rake a tree or hit a branch and you hear it or click anything. You're listening. You're trying because he's going to come over. He can't stand it. He needs to know who you are or who you two are if you get down to the point of clicking antlers and pushing each other around. That's just how they are. They need to know. They're, they're herd animals. So I'm doing things like that because of that one little whine that bull made. Now, if it creeps up and there's a bugle more into the 7th, 8th, ninth. That bull is starting to feel his oats. He's starting to yearn for cows because the rut, the dates are increasing. It's getting closer to where his testosterone's level is starting to rise. That's when I go to the slow play. So that is designed for that bull right there. Herd bull or not, doesn't matter. I'd rather have it be a herd bull because they react faster because they have cows, but none are in heat. He's got them. 
but he doesn't mind leaving them to come check this one out that ha- that is coming into estrus because of the display that this bull is creating, which is on the app to slow play. So that's how I work him. Now, if I'm getting into a bull that I know has a hot count, there's multiple bulls bugling, and I'm just trying to kill a decent five or six, I'm going to go straight to the breeding sequence to kill one of the satellites. That's what brought him there. So now I'm going to be much more active vocally and suck one of those bulls right in. If I want the herd bull, I have to choose a different tactic for him. I can't go at him with the breeding sequence. I'm not going to kill him. One of the satellites are going to beat him in. Not only that, he's not coming. He's staying with the hot cow. So I have to choose a different one. So you see how I'm choosing an advertising over a breeding, over a slow play, because I know my odds are best to pull that one in. You know, and, and that's what I'm evaluating as I'm listening to everything. If I'm leaving the rig and, and, and creeping up on something I heard, or during the daytime now I'm running and gunning. It's getting to be the 10th and on. Man, I'm bugling and moving. I don't even worry about night bugling. I'm going to find him during the day now. I'm getting up there, you know, already getting into areas and starting to call. I'm calling, calling. And if I really feel they're there, but it's pressured or they're not saying anything, I'm going to go straight to the regathering muse or the cow bugle. That's what I'm going to start using now. And so a cow bugle, guys, this is all important stuff. Listen to this, how I locate these things on hunters all over the place. But yet they'll answer me. Because I'm unique. I'm different. When a cow is looking for other elk and she cannot find him, this is a sound she'll make. Here's the difference between this and a bull. When you hear a bull bugle, he usually will bugle once. He might bugle again, you know, minutes later. When there's no confrontation going on. This is a guy just bugling on his own. Nothing. And that's how he does it. And we all know that. We've all done it. But a cow is different. When a cow bugles... She requires attention, assistance, where are you, or come on over here. And here's the sound she'll use. She does it over and over and over. She'll do it four or five times. She may wait 30 seconds. 45 and do it all over again this is cows doing that it's not a bull how many times you ever heard a bull do that that many times in a row that close zero just yeah they just don't do it bulls have more and they're more majestic they're more even you know they're different but not a cow a cow will be repetitively really quick with her bugle And, and 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 so it's so unique and when i do that a lot of times I bugled, I've done everything, nothing. I go to the, I wait. I may even reposition 100 yards and I'll hit that sound and wham, a bull hit me right away. Why is he doing it? He's trying to call me over. He's letting her know she's asking for assistance. She's asking, where are you guys? If she's with another group, a lot of times she'll be the lead cow or sentry. She may go check out a destination spot like a water area, water hole, and she'll go over there first. And when everything is okay, actually have this on film. It's going to be on the app. You'll hear her bugle to let them know it's okay for them to come on over. So, sort of a coast is clear. Sometimes they do it. Sometimes they just move in on it as a group. But it depends on the pressure in the area and how su- suspicious they are because of human activity. It, on, on, on draw units, you hardly ever hear them do it like that. They're all in a group because they don't have the human intrusion. But the more pressure – the more deceptive, the, the, the more educated they get. And so now they're try- they pull out all the stops. That's what I do. So now I'm imitating that cow. And, man, I get bulls to bugle when nothing else would ever work. And so I do that. And the regathering muse the same way. 
The only difference is, is I don't use the bugle because when I hear a cow moving, she'll be moving as she's making the regathering mew so many times. And she'll kind of go like this. And she'll do that over and over and over. I've watched cows do this over 10 times nonstop. I don't know how they have the air, but they do it. Some, sometimes they'll shorten it up and give a few chirps and then lengthen it out again. And this is wanting attention. They want the elk to come over their way. Where are you? Let me know where you're at or come over here. If there was a group that's gotten separated. So it's, it's the language. So it can be used in a lot of different situations. It's not like it only applies here. No, 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 no. She could be looking for aid for coming over this way, or she's seen other elk and she's trying to call them over. You have no idea how many cows and spikes I've called with that sound. Way more than mature bulls by a mile. But I've seen cows coming through and cows and spikes going through and they're moving through real fast, like something moved them. And I just kind of run over and get trying to get within a few hundred yards of even 300 and start hitting that sound. And man, here they come. I mean, out of nowhere. I mean, it's not like I see them coming across a burn. It says all of a sudden here, they're shooting out 60, 70 yards coming right at me. And, and I mean, time and time again on over the counter hunts, they'll do this. As a matter of fact, I remember you even telling me an example where you had the cow come in and, uh, you ended up killing that cow, and there was a bunch of elk coming in, but you killed the real close one. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. What we do we do things like this. Yeah, we were we were dogging the herd, and they were moving up into this big plateau up above us, and they were using this little shell rock trail through this big burn that was just overgrown and thick as can be, and and we were running out of light, and I was trying to catch them, and the bull was bugling, and I just started giving those regathering sounds. And regathering muse and the and how far were the elk? Uh, 40, 50 yards, 40, 50 yards. Uh, but be just a bunch of down burned stuff, and they were moving up this trail. I could see him. You know, the bull was probably a hundred and some yards. He was already up there, and the closest cows and calves were 40, 50 yards, and they were moving up all going up this uh, steep, steep trail away from you, away from <laughs> me. Yeah, and. I, I uh, hit him with that, and they just turned around and started coming. And the bull, he came running past them. At first, I thought I was going to get a shot at him because he was pushing them all out of the way. He was coming, and then he stopped and started raking, raking a tree. And I had a calf go by, and then a cow at three yards. And, yeah, the longbow came back, and... Three, I couldn't pass up the three Heck yeah. <laughs> but you see, that's if you would have sat there and just cow called, I promise you, it would have made no difference to him. It wouldn't have changed anything. It's given him that little bit more of a concern, urgency, uh, you know, uh, uh, of that mew and repetitiously. See, that changes everything as opposed to just a social uh, cow call type thing. But heck yeah, you obviously did it right. And there's no doubt there. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> but yeah, you know, it sounds like that, that we use. So we try to evaluate a situation and, and, and make it work right then and there uh, as to what the elk may want. And, and that's all it is. It's still hunting. There's never any guarantees, but you know, after, after enough years of trial and error and seeing what works and what don't and the emotion behind the sound, it, it usually works out pretty good because we've been there and done that and seen it so many times that we have kind of a leg up on what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And so, you know, in, in finding these areas, 
that's one thing to locate your area. It's another thing to locate elk, and it's a whole nother ball game to kill that elk. Yeah, you know that's absolutely. the difference. In that scenario, we'd actually located the herd hours before, and mm. he, he was moving them. They were they were, uh, and we had other hunters in the area that we had to deal with as well. See, that's even that much harder. It was it, it was we we actually ended up having to turn a father and son. Uh, that were coming in on us as we were trying to come in on the elk. It, it was, it was, there was a lot of moving parts there that, that evening. Um, but I knew that right at the end, it was like a last like ditch move. I knew a bugle wasn't going to do it. And man, I couldn't believe how quick it, it moved. It brought them to me. It was pretty cool. Yep. It's nice to be able to experience it and see it for yourself. So it gives you the confidence it works and, and the enthusiasm to share that with, with someone else that this can work. It can make the difference. It's not a, you know, a cemented thing, but yes, it can definitely make a difference or it's better than just throwing the towel in the proverbial towel and saying, forget it. They're going, there's nothing I can do. No. When you start getting an idea of what the language is like and what, how they can react to it, you know, there there can be some uh, uh, some real promising results there. For sure, they're definitely timing sounds, and it's just mm -hmm. really learning. What I've learned from you is not it's it's very important to to understand what they're saying. It, it's not just knowing how to make these calls, but mm -hmm. uh, being able to gauge their their temper and their disposition at the time um, has a ton of value. You know, that's, that's real important. It is, you know, so many times or, or a lot of guys these days and, and, and some of them are popular hunters that people hear and read about a lot. They'll tell you that elk can't be called to, or don't try to call them. You should only be doing spot and stock. You should be open hunting more open country because your, your odds for success are much greater. And don't get me wrong. There's, there are times when you're hunting elk that you shouldn't be calling. I don't like calling to open country elk, to elk that are standing in the open, but I love hunting the timber because I find a lot of people, a lot of hunters don't like to hunt the timber. Yeah. And what I, I find that these guys that recommend no calling, none, you'll be more successful with no calling and hunting more open country. What I find is they have tried calling in the past and were unsuccessful. And so they've resorted to other measures because they didn't know how to handle elk that wouldn't respond in a favorable way or, or, or show up within their range. So instead of learning the language and trying to see what, what do I need to break here and become uh, more efficient in, 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 in talking to these animals and convincing, in them, convincing them I'm one of them, instead of doing that, they decide to go a 360 and say these things are uncallable. Why? It's because these guys are just making elk sounds. That's all they're doing. And they're not having good results by just the normal bugle and the normal cow calls. And they these elk aren't running them over and coming to them. Instead, they're pushing a lot of them away. Yeah. And I'm, they don't understand why. I'm shocked on how many guys that are into calling elk that just um, pretty much go with one bugle. They're like, I'm a bugler or I'm a cow caller. And there's yep. no in-between. And they use just like a one-dimensional method and pound it into the corner until it works. Um, I mean, I guess it works, but... If you have enough time and enough bulls, you will finally get 
a challenging, aggressive situation to work. There's no question about it. I've done it myself, you know, many times. I just learned over the years there are challenging situations and then there are situations that are not a challenging situation. Right. And that's why I like to evaluate things. I want to call every bull in. Yeah, it's I'm a, not happy with, with, with well, the, he didn't want to play. He didn't oh. want to play. Oh, he didn't want to cooperate. And, and, and most guys will tell you it's one out of ten. And, and, and that's, that's and it's rate. it's a 30, 40, 30 day season in most states, maybe a few more days, other states. Um, you got to have a technique that's that you can go to on August 28th as well as October yep. 1st. You got to be versatile. Yeah. And that's the thing with understanding elk sounds. It doesn't mean you can't hunt open country elk. It just means that you are prepared mentally and and confidence wise, if I need to call, I can do it. But but see the guys that are that are exclusive on trying to hunt all open country and sneak in and do this and that to to get into bow range are are, are just into that. And it's not because they don't like calling elk; it's because they don't know how to call elk. Yeah. And instead of putting the time and effort in to do that, so that they're a more complete elk hunter, where they can hunt timber, open country, or semi-open, semi-closed. You know, you got you you to be a successful hunter, you should be able to approach all those avenues with confidence. And and so I'm not saying it's calling or nothing. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, in order to be productive, understand. That like a golfer, I can't just use my driver and a seven iron and right. a putter and be a, a competitive golfer. I do okay, but I can't compete with the guys that know how to use all their clubs. And that's the truth. So it's the same with a hunter. If all you're going to do is hunt this kind of country, what, what, what you find out with these guys that are more popular, that are open country hunters and, and say they just stock, you know what they end up doing? They go deep. Deep, 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 deep. Right. Because they they can't handle the p other people trying to hunt those same elk. So they're trying to put a stock on next. You know, there's somebody coming from over here. Oh, there's a side-by-side -side over there coming from a half a mile away, and the elk are right here. So they get all this pressure, and it blows everything. And this guy says, no, you blew it for me. And this guy says, no, you blew it for me. And this other guy's still kind of coming. I saw him first. And so that's what's happening. And so they're starting to go in this 6 to 10 miles away so they can have all this little bit of seclusion for dumb elk that aren't seeing any hunting pressure. And so those are the elk they're trying to, to, to get in and hunt so nobody else is screwing their hunt up. When and, and, in me, I'll go learn how to call and call these guys less than a mile from the road year after year after year after year, and they're not killing any bigger bulls. And it's the, just they're killing different the, ones. The other point I'd like to make to to the listeners is we're not all you know elk nuts. We're not all where Paul is you know with sixty seventy bulls under his belt, where he's looking for six by six bulls. I mean, guys like me are happy to shoot a nice big fat cow or a spike bull, and Paul's teaching you how to communicate with elk and all elk, all elk. And, and, right. and you can pull out what, whichever tool you need to bring whichever elk you need in. It's not just trying to find one that you want to bully into a corner and make him come uh, stand up for himself, um, which is fine and it's great. And that is yeah, a lot those of fun. Are fun too. Those are a lot they, of fun. They, That's a, a lot of, yeah, a ton of fun. Um, but sometimes, you, you know, you're, you, you're on your old, your seventh day of your seven day elk hunt, and you're going to go home with nothing, and you're you're to the point where a, a cow elk is sounding awesome, and having a ha, know, knowing what a regathering cow sound is and how to use it and when to use it, man, it's it can be deadly. 
Yeah, if all I wanted to do was kill an elk and give myself the best odds, without a doubt, it would be the cow bugle and the regathering mew in a trolling fashion. That would be my number one thing. I would find country. So this is for guys that just want, you know, it's brown, it's down. Yeah. You don't care what it is. And it could be a bull. But the point is, is that when you're going to go out there and use sounds like this, this is talking to all elk. My general consensus when I'm out hunting is I'm using sounds that I know is going to apply mostly to bulls because that's what I'm looking for. So I'm targeting bulls. So I'm targeting my sounds that way, but it doesn't mean I'm being, you know, defensive to everything. It doesn't mean that I'm, 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 I'm challenging and lip balling everything. I, I, I weigh my odds to the bull I'm working. Again, I look at all elk hunting as building that foundation. If I start at the roof and have no foundation and, and that's what most guys are doing, the starting at the roof means you're challenging, you're being aggressive for everything. And hoping something sticks to the wall. It's not a good idea because when you start down low, you can always build up and still play that same elk. But you can't reverse it and play that same elk. It doesn't work like that. You'll push them. So if I just want to kill an elk, it would be trolling with the, the cow bugle or regathering muse. In other words, I would get away from camps, the trailhead. And maybe I wanted to use a trailhead to access an area. Where While it was still dark, I got in a half a mile, three quarters, one mile, and I branched off left or right from what I saw on my map or on my phone. And I know I'm into some areas that if people were calling from the trail, these elk, if they're over there, would never hear them. So see, I, now I'm into an area that's all it took me to get away from pressure, and now I'm going to call. Probably every quarter of a mile to three-eighths of a mile, I'm going to set up, and I'm going to use these sounds. I know there's elk somewhere over here. And eventually, after one or two days, with four to six setups in that time frame, I am eventually going to have them come in, and they may even come in vocally, or they may come in silent. But when you're using those types of sounds, they are absolutely dynamite. And, 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 and guys, you got to have the confidence to, to be able to use that sound and then to sit patiently because elk will come in at their own time. Now, if you're further into the season, like the 15th or on, usually they're just going to become vocal. They'll let you know where they're at. But in the more quiet times, quiet elk, heavy, heavy pressured areas, you need to use those sounds and you need to anchor yourself and pay attention. It's no time to root through your pack and to unload it. And eat everything and open up candy bars and make all this racket thinking nothing's going to come. You can't do that. You have to have confidence. Something's going to come slipping in. And they do. You cannot believe how many times this works. And, 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 and it's just like when James talked about this elk coming in. If he wouldn't have seen anything and it would have been thick timber, those elk still were going to come. It didn't make any difference. They didn't see James and said, oh, he looks like a cow. We're coming over there. It was the sound that brought him there. And so it's the same thing when you're out there. A lot of times I've heard elk and, 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 and just to see their reaction, I've taken that like a regathering short mew. The, the, there's a long version and a short version. Remember I showed them both to you. One's real long when they're not responding to the first one. I'm in search of the short one is get back over here. Where are you guys? I've done that and run right at elk that I heard that were in the timber. And I mean, running right at him fast as I could and dropping that note. And I mean, I have come face to face with so many cows over the years. When I say <laughs> face to face, I'm talking within 10 feet and they're just standing there. Sometimes there's a half a dozen of them. And I mean, they're just staring at me. I've seen Spike standing there with them and they're just like, they're in a disbelief. They're not like white tails where they just blow up like a jack in the box and they're out of there. It's almost like they shake their head and then try to, to, 
digest what they're seeing. But it, I mean, if you wanted to shoot one, it's too late. You got them because they just they're just there. Yeah, and that's they're, they're, they're dumbfounded by your existence. That's exactly how I got that three yard shot. <laughs> yeah, uh, they just don't get it that yeah. if you're not an elk, you sound like one. Yeah, and it doesn't register real fast. So if you you know, it's things like that. Too late. That you could do if you yeah. just want to if you just want to kill an elk. I mean, you you can do things of that nature. So there's a lot of different perspectives and avenues that you would approach other times just a bunch of cow calling blind cold call calling will 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 suck them in because they're herd animals but when i'm in desperate measure i like using sounds that require a reaction or assistance from other elk cow calling requires none of that nothing no more than a location bugle requires none of that you see and so unless i get too close to a bull that has cows now a location bugle can become defensive from a herd bull telling you to get out of there you're not welcome and that's what i'm looking for i'm targeting that kind of an elk but as far as using these other sounds they are magnetic they can work so good i mean august the 30th my son and i have called so many elk in by using like regathering muse in addition to like a calf sound you know when a calf is with the mom a lot of times she'll sound real nervous because mom is in search of and she she can tell by the emotion that her mom is emitting and it makes her uneasy for the situation and you'll hear her just chirping chirping chirp 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 as the mom is reaching out trying to locate it just again it so it, it, what does that it, sound it has, like what does that nervous ca- calf sound like when a cow you know when a cow is talking you'll usually hear more of a it's a more mature sound okay a calf is more So you notice the difference, the yeah. immaturity? That's what a calf will do. And and I'll bet you a bunch of the listeners have had calves come in when they cow called or bugled. Oh yeah. And I mean, from hundreds of yards, and you'll hear them make that sound nonstop. I mean, they're crashing. You think a three sixty bull was coming? Oh in. man, they one, were just crashing everywhere. Oh, uh, one time we called, we were calling on this herd, and the calf came in and laid down next to me and my buddy. <laughs> and then it left and we were we went with it and then it came back and it laid down with us again it was something else i've have used that sound going right at bulls before because see they're used to it and and a lot of times you take that little calf sound and 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 and, and you know he's over there and and it's just the way the terrain lies it's like this is a great opportunity to use this sound and just <laughs> crash and bang and you don't have to run at him. Run left, run right. Breath. That's what calves do. They are bouncing around like a little uh, in a nursery school, bouncing everywhere. And when they come in, oh my gosh, you should see them. I mean, they are so, they are hilarious to watch. You can do this running right at another bull or an, or more elk that you know are in the cover. And I mean, they will let you run right amongst them as long as they don't see you to the last second or wind you. But be ready because, I mean, if you can get an arrow knock and go, man, I just need to kill an elk right now. And it could be the uh, six-point bull. It could be a five. It could be a raghorn. It could be a spike, a cows. You just don't know what you're going to meet first. But as you're running right at them and you're making that sound, you sell it so much that you are a calf. So you're not going to make that sound and go tiptoeing in. Don't do that. You're not deer hunting here. This is how elk are. And their guard is down. You're, You're making that sound going out.
That's what they sound like. Yep. They're real immature inside. They're cracking. They're popping. They're not trying to sneak through. They are the noisiest things. And guys, this could make the difference between filling that tag and not filling it when you're just trying to, you know, hopefully take something home. This this can really they can really um, give the herd up too. I get this special tag for Roosevelt's where we hunt bulls in January with bow and arrow. And it's a tracking game. They, they, it, it, we get a lot of rain at that time of year. And so they're leaving a ton of sign. Like, And so you're just tracking elk. And when, when you catch up to them and they get away and you're tracking them again and you're trying to refind them, man, a couple calf sounds and the, the other calves in the herd, they give the herd up every single time. Yeah. Especially Every single the time. separated ones, the yeah. rapid ones. Oh, yeah. yeah. They give away their position so quick. Yeah. Uh, and Or you throw some of that out and the cow will chime in yep. uh, and you're right back uh, to tracking. You're like, oh, they're going that way. You're- you see, and, 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 and it doesn't create an intimidation no. or a confrontation to them. It's just like they're telling you to catch up. Get yeah. your butt over here. And, 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 and so it's a communication thing again. It doesn't mean you may not use something different right when I got up there and they're moving through and I'm seeing like they're in range, but they're still moving. I might have to hit them with a nervous grunt to stop them, right. you know, give them the just real quick. But I usually read usually or whatnot and just stop them right in that window so you can get your shot. So it may take one sound to get there and another to actually close the deal. So always be ready. Be familiar with what each sound represents. The nervous grunt, ask for an action or a visual. You know, what are you? Where are I hear something right there. And it wants an identification. And and so many times it just stops them right dead in their tracks. And, and so don't just always count on a cow sound to achieve that. Because I've, I've actually used cow sounds where they kept making more steps. And, and, and put them behind something when I came to draw. Right. And and this is really important with trad gear because, man, this is draw, anchor, and let it go. There's none of this I can wait for a minute as they clear. So that's why I like the nervous grunt so much, you know, when we're hunting with longbows and recurves It as well. anchors them right exactly where they're at, like Paul yep. said. It, it stops them in their tracks. And, and this, all these tactics that he's referring to, it's all right there in the app. You know, the slow yeah. play, the breeding sequence, the regathering muse. Uh, he's even got um, a how to use a mouth read for bull sounds and cow sounds. Uh, he's got tips. He's He's got a, um, a, a really cool feature on there where you can record yourself doing the sound. You can listen to the elk make the sound, and you can listen to Paul make the sound, and you can play back and listen to yourself making the sound, and you can really tone, you know, tune in your sound so that uh, you can have confidence going into the woods this September. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, and that feature is right there on the same page with every sound, so you don't have to scroll around and find it. It's yeah. just right there. And I even use it. I'll, I'll call into it, and because, I mean, I'll be the first to tell you that the, the clarity – of the recording on it is ridiculous. It is awesome. It is so good and clear. It's like, wow. But it it is, I'm I'm finding myself. It's so much better. You you know, instead of just bugling my head off for an hour out my yard, uh, it's like (laughs) I'm recording it. I'm, I'm comparing it. I'm not having to get out the DVD and the book and it just puts everything right there. Uh, it's it's an awesome learning tool for the beginner to the most advanced elk hunter. I don't care how good you are. Yep. There's something there for you. It just um, helps you polish things up. It really know? does. Um, I, I'm really left with just one last question. Okay. And, and it just comes to uh, 
that hunting pressure, like, uh, it'll be like, I guess a two part question and it's how do you, or how I'm sure you don't, you, you're, you're better at selecting your spots than a newbie, but how do you deal with the other hunters coming in to your sounds as you are already dealing with the elk? Um, and then the, the second part to that question is just to reiterate to the, to the new newbie, how to stay away from the pressure. Yeah, that's that, that second question answers the first one. And that's what I do is I do my best to stay away from the pressure. If I know somebody's out there and they're calling and I hear them easily, I usually move off. I don't care if there's an elk there or not. I usually leave it alone, let them have it. You know, I honestly do. I, I, I don't, I don't really bother with it. I'm not going to go in competition and say, well, I'm going to elk call you to call the elk to me first, unless we're talking about a hunter way the heck out there that I can just hear. And I have the bull right there, you know, then I can probably seal the deal before that hunter even realizes anything's going on. But to be both working an elk, nah, I back off, let them have it. It's not that hard to find elk. It really isn't. I mean, you just keep moving around and moving around. And like you said earlier, I mean, we hunt wolf country and lots of hunting pressure. You know, if somebody happened to be in there before I did or whatnot, you know, I'll bow down to that. No problem. That's that's what it is about hunting public land. Again, I think this is probably one of the things that I take for granted and, and why I do the things I do. In other words, like I said, I hunt a different spot every morning and a different spot every evening unless i'm in such a great area that i'm saying man i'm spending all day here it is rare i mean that might happen once in a season or every third season that's how rare it is because it's hunting public ground people will come in from other directions do you think that that also helps keep you your sound fresh because you're moving into different spots every time well, it does, and, 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 and it's not only fresh, but let's say I go into an area and I know there's a bull there. I heard him, so now I'm going to go hunt him. I know he's there. Let's say I mess up and I don't kill that bull. That bull knows my sound. Right. I am done. See, and guys don't get that. They don't get it. They That bull's still there. Maybe he's got cows and this and that, and they think they can keep working that bull all day long and the next day and the next day. And what they're going to find is anytime you booger a bull, especially a bull that's a five or a six point, once you booger him, and when I say booger, I mean something saw you or winded you or even after you called and you left the area, he, they came down and winded. If you go back in there and try to call that elk in, I'm not saying he won't answer because nine times out of ten he will. But the last thing he does is close the distance. And the more you call and try to move in, the further he gets. No way are you going to call in and kill that bull. He is done. He, you educated that bull. It's not. This is not an LE unit where you could get away with that two or three times. Not on it over the counter. They see too much pressure. They know exactly what an imposter, uh, you know, intentions are. It's not good. They they get really they do get educated and disciplined from it. So when you're working a bull, if you do not kill that bull after working him, not you heard one and left with your presence unannounced. That's a different story. You could come back into that one because he never knew you were there. But that's not me. I mean, usually I'm going in. If I hear something, I'm going to work that bull to try to get him in and kill him. So if it doesn't work out, I leave the area. I already know he's in tune to me. 
I'm going to get screwed if I just push the envelope and think I'm going to make it work. In most cases, you don't unless you know what he's doing and where he's going and you can catch him at a destination spot. If he stays vocal enough and there's two of you, you might be able to have a uh, call in stock where one the caller three, four hundred yards away keeps the bull vocal as the hunter slips around and gets in his way as he passes through as he's moving or just basically gets to the location the bull continues to bugle from and as he goes in unannounced the shooter does to kill him you know you may have something like that but the bull has to stay vocal enough for that to work outside of that a lot of times you're better off to just move to another area just go to another area because you should have killed the bull in the first place right but sometimes it doesn't work out and 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 you just leave and if i go into an area that's really good and i know it's good from past years and there's nothing most of the time i will not return unless at least two weeks go by i won't even think of returning to it i don't care if we killed six bulls in that area in the years previous it's she they're not there and i'm not going to think they're magically going to return but usually in a couple of weeks things change you know elk move around elk get pushed but very rare does that ever happen from day to day i mean you would just be a stroke of luck so i i, I try not to go back into the same areas over and over no i just don't do it and my odds go up new area fresh area each time that don't know who i am and you know the results speak for themselves we kill a lot of elk by doing that and so i don't want to fix something that's not broke <laughs> well there it is he's really put it all out there for us uh tell tell the listeners where they can find the elk nut app and how to find you well yeah the elk nut app uh if you have an iPhone, you're going to find it on your phone there, you know, at the Apple store. And, uh, if you have an Android, you're going to, you're going to do that on your Google play. And generally you just go to your Google play to your search function and you type in ElkNet or ElkNet app and it will take you straight to it. And, uh, there, I think there's even a preview there. It gives you an idea of what's in it. But oh, oh, you guys don't need a preview. This is nine dollars and ninety five cents. I know it. It's, this is it's, this is the this is the price of one elk call, um, yeah. one elk call that could fall out of your pocket. And what is an elk call? Is that going to kill a bull for you? No, you need the knowledge. And I don't care how good you are. You guys need to get this. This app is awesome. I everybody uh, has it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 uh, Paul doesn't need to sell more. I, I don't keep saying this for Paul. I'm saying this for the listeners. You can, it will help you it, kill elk. It, and it's so easy to use. Like I know a lot. We have a, a somewhat of an older demographic listening often, fellas, gals. This is simple. It is laid out. You do not need to be high tech to run this app. It is so easy to use. I'm so excited about it. Um, we are what three weeks out from archery season opening pretty much across the West for elk and. Man, it's awesome. I'm so excited. So you can find uh, Paul, uh, Elk Nut Outdoors. He's on Instagram. And they are also uh, Elk Nut App. The Elk Nut App is on Instagram. Um, right, So right. follow those guys. And I think Junior. Uh, yeah, he runs all that. Yeah, my son. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and I also know that Paul's going to be out in the woods this year with his grandson. Yep. Uh, and I'm excited to hear those stories at the end of, uh, the hunt. I'll be calling Paul come October to get the juicy details. So good luck to, to you and your son and grandson out in the Elkwoods this year, Paul. 
Yeah, well, thanks. Yeah, it's my grandson's first year archery hunting, so we'll see how it goes. Oh, man. <laughs> how uh, the nerves handle, how he can handle his nerves, you know. We'll, we'll have some elk in for him, yeah. you, no matter what it takes, but it'll be it'll be very interesting to see if he follows in his dad's footsteps and has that calm demeanor, you know, right when you need it. So we'll see. It'll, it'll be very fun no matter what. Well, I'm sure since he's got elk flowing through his veins, he'll be just fine. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing. Um, you're, you're, you're so uh, kind with your time, and thank you for sharing um, with us and the listeners, and uh, good luck this fall. Yeah, thanks. it's absolutely my pleasure. Awesome. Once again, we'd like to thank all the listeners. Don't forget to tell your friends about the podcast. Check us out on Instagram. Uh, check out tradquest.com. I hope you guys are going to have a wonderful fall, and good luck to everybody out there. Keep the wind in your face. Pick a spot. Shoot a big old bull with the tent. Yeah.